host of this show, Max Naist, lived in addiction for years and made lots of destructive choices, which resulted in losing friends, family, and his career. After being in jail for the fourth time, he knew he needed to make some big changes. Now, sober for 17 years, he shares the steps he took, which led to recovery and got his life back. Welcome to Fearless Happiness. 19.7 million American adults have battled a substance use disorder. 38% of adults have battled an illicit drug use disorder. But no matter what the struggle, no matter the challenge, you can overcome anything and become successful. Max and his guests share experience, strength, hope, and faith. If it's PTSD or military-related, trauma, physical, verbal, sexual addiction, alcoholism, you can accomplish your dreams. And with this show, we help others be fearless in their pursuit of happiness. This is Fearless Happiness, and this is Max Naist. Hello, everybody. This is Max from the Fearless Happiness Podcast, and I have my wonderful guest, Jessica Hughes. I'm so grateful to have you on the show, everybody. We're going to have an amazing guest. Jessica is a newly published author that has hit the bestseller list in three different countries. She's an amazing artist, and her and I share something uh, similar, but I'll let her introduce herself. So, Jessica, let everybody know who you are and, and what you do. Sure. Um, my name, as we know, is Jess Hughes, and I am now an international best-selling author and an abstract artist. I've been a fine artist my whole life, but I shifted to abstract about, you know, six, eight months ago, and it's been an amazing ride since then. Um, I am the mother of seven children. I'm a single mom now, and my kids are 12, 13, 14, no, 12, 14, 15, 16, 19, and my twins are 22, so... That is a whirlwind. Um, I own Jessica Hughes Fine Art, and I'm developing another program called the Creative Genius Zone, and I'm super excited about that. I am like a pinball of ideas all the time, and uh, I'm really excited to just tell my story now that I'm on the other side of a lot of pain and darkness and just keep you know, spreading this internal joy and freedom that I feel to, to inspire and help other people. Absolutely. And the one thing that, like I said, we share together, like, uh, if you don't mind, Jessica and I both are in, are in recovery from addiction and mm -hmm. that journey, like she, she's going to tell you is, it's not the easiest road, but my opinion and, and being almost shoot this year, I'm going to have 18 years. Wow, uh, clean and sober, you know, the, the addicts and the alcoholics in recovery that I know are some of the most brilliant, smartest, intelligent, kindest, loving people I know. And Jessica's right up there with all of them. Um, <laughs> as you can see in the background, you know, when I do my YouTube channel, she's going to have some, she has some beautiful artwork. Um, but I wanted to bring her on so she can share her story. So share with the audience, Jess, if you would, like, like where, where you came from, what you kind of went through, and then where you're at today. We kind of know already, but I want them to get the backstory. Sure, absolutely. Um, it's been quite the journey. I feel like I've lived about 10 li different lifetimes within, you know. <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> get me to here for sure. <laughs> and the beautiful thing is I, I really was raised by incredible parents. My dad um, got sober when I was six years old. So I had the benefit of you know, his sobriety for, um, 
40, you know, 40 more years until he passed away in 2015. And that, that was a gift. He was an incredibly, like most recovering addicts I know, um, sensitive, you know, lots of ideas, creative people, people. Um, and so I had really, really amazing parents and sister that really, um, gave me a strong foundation to come back to after my, um, fall and rise back again. Um, they really nurtured the creative in me. They didn't pin, you know, stick me into, to any kind of box. They didn't focus on grades. They wanted me to do well, but they really were not the kind of parents that said, you know, art isn't a career. Um, you'll never make it. So they didn't discourage me from that. And they encouraged me in, you know, athletics, in the arts. I was a musician as well. Um, so when I went off to college, um, I felt like I was in a pretty good uh, grounded situation. I'd always been emotional and super, super sensitive. Um, and I'd spent every summer canoeing in Canada. And that's actually where things turned. Um, a month before I was set to go away to college, uh, I had a really violent traumatic rape happen when I was 18. And that is really where, you know, I was always genetically pre predisposed to addiction and I can like trace it back to obsessively connecting, you know, collecting stuffed animals when I was a little, little kid, just the thinking was always there, yeah. but Isms, as they say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but that event, uh, really, really planted the seeds for not just the substance abuse addiction, but the eating disorder, um, both of which would kind of plague me for the next two decades. And, um, you know, it was, I think my story is about really what can happen when we repress a trauma. And I really felt like, oh, I've had this amazing childhood. I have nothing to complain about. Rape happens to so many people, sexually, you know, so many people have it so much worse than me. And I really just thought, what am I complaining about? And I just shoved it and um, went off to college. I got onto the rowing team there. And I think it was just a natural way for me to cope with this incredibly tragic event that had happened to me because I was not sexually active before. It was like the first time. And it just, you know, it haunted me for, for decades after that. So I got rowing and I went on this mission to become as physically powerful as possible. I didn't realize that I didn't connect the dots to that and that um, trauma that happened until much later, but I was built for the sport. I love the sport. Um, I had Olympic aspirations. So I switched to University of Wisconsin, rode division one. I, I trained um, under the US national team development camps, um, have a gold medal from the Olympic festival. You know, just, I, I've trained internationally, gold medals all over. Um, and it was my junior and this is important and relevant, um, my junior year in college, I was, um, we had an indoor race and I was, you know, expected to win in all the Midwest in this indoor rowing machine. And I came in second, which was failure to me. And that night, I just remember getting completely wasted and dragging my knuckles along the brick wall and the flashbacks started coming back that night and they were so visual and so intense and so unexpected that, I mean, I tailspun. I ended up, um, luckily my coach got me into a therapist when she saw me over the next few weeks, just collapse mentally, emotionally. Um, 
and that was a band-aid, you know, it was good. I got on medication. It helped a little bit. Um, but I ended up dropping out of school. Um, you know, I felt like if I, if I'm questioning this rowing career and I'm a fine art major, I can just, I don't need this degree. So I started an art school, lived this dual life again of partying really hard. And then the Pied Piper teaching art to all of the, you know, little kids in Madison, um, was successful enough that I was able to buy a house, have a studio there. Like it was a dream come true. I was making great money. Um, felt like everything was solved and I was on my way. Um, but the partying and everything led to meeting a guy. I became pregnant, um, unexpectedly. And I had, um, not just one baby, but two babies. So when I found out it was twins, I sold the house, moved home. And, you know, those two years when the twins were, uh, first born were magical because I was with my parents, my sister, you know, it was that treasured, protected, safe space that I, I had, you know, I really needed. And I was going through a lot of therapy, trying to address these issues. Um, but I could never get to the core of it. And I, you know, I had moments of feeling so worthless and broken and incapable. Um, so my parents were like, why don't you get back to rowing? You know, that'll give you a social life. You know, I had to move back from Wisconsin to Pittsburgh. Um, which I, I was not thrilled about. I thought I was <laughs> kind of free of living at home forever and ever. Um, but I made the most of it and they allowed me to get back into rowing. Uh, that's where I met my husband. Um, he was a coach there and we didn't know each other. Well, we, we kind of, it happened very quickly. He was 17 years older than me, had never been married, fell in love with the twins. We both were passionate about rowing. We were also really passionate about fine wine and fine dining and seemed like, you know, I get married. Um, and in hindsight, like, I just think it was a mismatch from the beginning. Um, There's something it, you said that, that I don't think people realize about people who, who become addicted and stuff like that. Right. And most of us know. I mean, there's the stigma that goes, you know, most people think of the alcoholic, the guy on the curb with the brown right. paper bag or the person with the needle in their arm, which is true, but it's not always that, right? But Absolutely. you said something that resonated is because I was the same way and is that we're great stuffers. Yeah. We Absolutely. love to go like, we don't want to deal with that. So we push mm -hmm. it down and then we try to mask it with that band-aid called alcohol or drugs or whatever the case may be until it just explodes. And then we got faced with, like you said, it, it, you're going to share where that day came where you just said, I have two choices. Right. Right. Absolutely. And I think um, that's a hallmark for so many people, whether they're addicts or not, is just in our culture, we passively watch TV, expect to be mm -hmm. entertained. We passively scroll, scroll, scroll. You know, I, I'm guilty of that for sure. Mm -hmm. We all have our stories and our pain that we're, you know, it's, it's not comfortable or easy to face that. And, you know, mine played out in addiction with substances, drugs and alcohol and food. And um, not everyone has to go through that pain. But I think why I'm speaking out against all of this now is that it can happen to high achieving um, suburban housewife, suburban, you know, these working career focused people, mothers with lots of kids where on the outside, it looks so perfect. Um, I heard a term called white collar addiction. And I went, you know, that's kind of 
what it was. And I don't think that that's spoken about enough. I think people realize, I think people equate money and how you look on the outside to, you know, nobody ever having a problem and no one knows what goes on behind closed doors. Um, so I was young. Um, I, my ex-husband and I really clashed on a religious standpoint and we really clashed on a number of things. Um, and to kind of step over most of that, I ended up having seven children, um, as I mentioned before, but my spirit as a wild dreamer, free-spirited artist was not really, and as a sensitive, you know, deep feeling, emotional person, um, it was not really okay in that environment. And I was deemed crazy more than a million times. And really he just, you know, and there's nothing wrong with this, wanted a quiet kind of submissive wife that would have lots of children and take care of the house. And I'm not denigrating that, but I have always had this thing inside me, this burning desire to do something incredibly awesome in the world. And um, the artist spirit of just having these ideas and, and having nowhere to put them and also having all this trauma and having nowhere to put it. Um, I did start two other companies while I was uh, right after I was first married, I had an art licensing company that was really successful, but I kept getting pregnant over and over. And that ended up like, there was no way I could sustain. I remember the year I, I kind of threw in the towel on that. I had a, <clears throat> a newborn, a one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old, a seven-year-old and um, twin nine-year-olds. So that was kind of a blur. Um, and so I didn't work for a couple of years. I ended up having another company that I started based on children's artwork. Um, but the whole time, like I'm living this dual life and I'm, I'm numbing out as often as I can on drugs and alcohol. I, uh, um, it really got bad in 2013 when my dad got sick with cancer. My son was diagnosed with all sorts of lung issues. And my dad, he was really the safe man in my life. Um, there was a lot of emotional and psychological abuse that was happening um, behind closed doors in my marriage. And my soul was, you know, I feel like that bright flame was down to those low little embers. And when my little dad flickers. got sick, yeah, little <laughs> flickers, there were flickers. Um, my children were my joy. You know, I poured everything I could into them. All of the creativity that I had, I poured into like nurturing that and fostering that in them. <clears throat> but the, when everyone got sick, um, we moved, there was a lot of chaos and unmanageability that, that began happening. There was financial unmanageability. There was, um, it just, it just, that feeling of chaos was overwhelming and exhaustion. You know, like I, I didn't really sleep in those years. I had 10 years of naps here and there, but not really a full night of sleep. Um, and not being accept accepted or seen for me, like I developed migraines that were 25 times a month, you know, suppressing that emotion in me, everything I was felt wrong and broken. Um, and so it played out physically. I got really, really sick. Um, but I, uh, knowing my dad was going to pass away was I, I spent all my time kind of taking him to chemo, taking care of my mom and sister. And then when he passed in 2015, it was so devastating. Um, he, they were like second parents to my kids and he was the only safe man I knew in my life. He'd always been my cheerleader. Um, 
but really I, I was afraid of men in general. And uh, when he passed, like I couldn't even cope with my grief because I was trying to midwife my kids, you know, to cope with their grief of this incredible pop-up that always, you know, he was in their lives on a daily basis for their entire lives. And, you know, again, it was about suppressing my own needs um, to take care of others, which was what I'd really done. I had very poor boundaries. I was very codependent. Um, I spent my life consumed with how to make others feel comfortable at the sacrifice of myself. You know, on social media, I portrayed the, the image of the perfect family, you know, these perfectly dressed children, me, this high achieving, <laughs> smiling person. And um, the floor fell out completely when he passed away. And I just pulled in, I isolated, I cut contact with any friends that still knew me because I was also so ashamed this eating disorder was there and had been, you know, this up and down battle for decades. And I really poured into pills. Um, So I don't have a lot of memory of those final two years um, at all which is hard to say, you know, someone asked me in a different podcast, well, who took care of your kids? And I can't remember. And that kills me to say that. Um, I don't really remember, you know, I was abusing every pill that I could find and I was a master manipulator, you know, like that's, I've forgiven myself for a lot of this, but um, I was able to get, what doctor wasn't going to prescribe something to a mom of seven who was under so much stress and so sick and pain pills, benzos and, you know, (laughs) just, it just stimulants and it just was crazy. Um, the access that I had to things and not telling anyone how sneaky I was and that shame and guilt that plagued me. And so on December 5th and 2017, I was recovering from a couple surgeries and living in this downstairs wing of the house. And I'd been there for two months trying to get over this one surgery that just didn't go well. And, you know, this pitch black room, it was the room my dad died in um, and just devastated. I was just the depression, the anxiety that I'd battled for years just closed in. And I think there's no logic or reason when you get in that dark black, place. And I tried to overdose that night. Um, and luckily, you know, I woke up and no one ever knew, you know, I think subconsciously I knew I wasn't taking enough. Um, but it was just that I remember opening my eyes and thinking, Oh my God, thank God I'm alive. Um, it was just a flash of, of what I had almost done um, to these kids and my family. And so that was kind of my wake up call, but I was still like ego. I, I, I had been superpowering it and powerhousing mother, you know, just not allowing people in, never asking for help, never wanting anyone too close to find out these broken parts of me. And so I still was determined, like I can conquer this, my control over everything. I, I have power over this. It was my first window that I had a problem. And so I tried for the next six weeks. I'm tenacious. I'm, I'm, <laughs> and I tried and I get six hours clean. I'd get 12 hours clean. The most I could get in that six weeks was 17 hours. And um, on January 30th, I kind of, 
I don't know what happened, but I had a, a flash, you know, we call it a moment of clarity where it's like all the onions of my whole life, all of the, the walls that had been up to protect my everything um, were stripped down for just a moment. And I kind of, I remember I was trying to paint in my studio and I'd stopped painting for the whole three years too, but I was trying to like that six weeks, trying to like do it myself. And I just collapsed on the floor sobbing. And I, I remember just, that was the first time I came to my husband, a wreck. And I'm like, I have a problem. I have to get help. And um, my mom had planned, you know, the stigma against rehab and all of it. And I was, we were a fairly wealthy suburban family. And it just, it seemed like such a shameful thing to do. But my mom was the only one who was clued into what was going on with me. She's the, because of my dad, she had the, the ability to see the behavior. Right. Um, and she knew that she, I had to, she was there supporting and loving me. But um, when you're in active addiction, you know, that willingness has to come from within to get, to really do the work to get clean and sober. And um, she just watched it play out till I hit bottom. But she was there when I did. And she's like, think of, um, think of rehab like vacation. And I hadn't been away from those kids <laughs> in 20 years. Right. So um, that, that word, you know, I just remember hanging on to that and going, well, maybe. And I, it was definitely not vacation, but <laughs> it, it was 30 days of a safe space for me. And I had felt so unsafe for so many years. I had really walked on eggshells around a man that uh, could blow up at any moment that I was never good enough for that, you know, just had standards beyond where I could ever meet them for me and the whole family. And um, I had no phone. I had no access to the outside world. I was five hours away from where I lived and it was a really incredible place as hard as it was, um, the staff there was amazing and they had an art therapy program, which was miraculous for me because I, that's, that's who I am. I speak, um, more, more clearly in visuals than I, than I ever do, um, verbally and between the staff and I was put in a grief and loss group, um, the small group that I was in, it, it was incredible. Um, and not what I had expected. I, I was still in that cloak of denial when I went in that I'll do a little therapy, you know, I know how to do that. Right. Still acting on my own will. And when I go back, I'll be cured. You know, they'll <laughs> detox me so I don't die. And then I'll just not make friends, not like anything. And it was so different than that. You know, I remember day three, I would, my head cleared a little bit and um, I had planned to not talk to anybody or share in the groups. And I heard this woman speaking and just starting to cry. And I realized it was me and everything for 20 years started spilling out. And um, the dam broke open and I realized, you know, I, I want this. It was the first taste I'd had of being fully clean and sober in um, a really long time. So I, I poured myself into that program. Um, the art therapy was incredible. The music therapy was there because it spoke to the creative the nonverbal, you know, there's so much focus in recovery and therapy and all of it on this verbal part of all of us, because we're in this left brain culture. And I think understanding the right brain activities as a healing um, modality, you know, being able to paint 
Um, I remember shaking so badly as I was detoxing off what I was taking that I couldn't hold a brush. I couldn't draw. And I remember squirting the paint out on paper and just mixing color and scraping through when I was upset and scribbling with the back of the paintbrush. And, you know, people around me started flocking when wanted to learn that same freedom. And it was, it was a really amazing space where I was able to get so much emotion out. And I'm a recovering perfectionist. I'm a recovering high achiever, I'm a recovering people pleaser. And I'd never, I'd always created safe space for other people to create without judgment, but I'd never permitted myself to have that because I was better. I had, could do, you know, so it was the first experience I had in um, being so raw and open that I was, I was willing to try anything to, to make this pain, to get the pain out of my body. Um, and so that very physical finger painting and stuff was really an eye opener for me and all of the journaling we had to do there. Um, so as I, the 30 days I ended up, I realized I can't go back to this marriage and have any chance of staying clean. I just had this sense that I would not live out the year. I would relapse. I would, pro- you know, just, I knew as clear as anything. And I had started trusting, you know, that deep voice inside me that was, that I'd suppressed for so long, my intuition. And um, so we worked out a plan. I'd move in with my mom till I had the courage to say that I was leaving the marriage. And uh, I, I came out of there and I changed everything. I threw myself into intensive outpatient. I lived with my mom. Um, you know, I chased recovery because I wanted that internal freedom, you know, that dark void, that pit inside me that was always there that I was trying to fill with, with people or drugs or alcohol or shopping or food or all of it. Uh, I wanted that ache, that void to close up and go away, you know, Mm -hmm. and I, I was getting glimmers of this little bit of peace and serenity in little glimpses, little moments. So I knew it existed and I was surrounding myself with recovered, um, addicts who, had these incredible lives. Like my sponsor now has 36 years clean and she lives this incredible free life. And I, I saw that, you know, I realized who I surround myself with matters. And so I started like surrounding myself in early recovery, even when I was in so much pain and turmoil um, with people where I saw something inside them that I wanted. And I knew if I worked hard enough, in recovery, like that was possible, that this life was possible on the other side. And, um, you know, that first year was incredibly chaotic. I didn't really have any tools in my toolbox. Uh, I got into a relationship too soon. I, you know, I did. So I, let me I moved out. <laughs> I, I left my husband. I moved out on my own. I rented a house. We shared custody with my kids. And then, you know, a year had passed and I got into a relationship and that was too soon. You know, it just was not smart, but I learned, you know, I take everything as learning experiences now, you You know, I don't look at it as mistakes. I don't beat myself up the way I used to. Um, I think any kind of clinging to resentments and bitterness in the past keeps me sick. And so, you know, I've taken any experience, even these last three and a half years of being clean and use it as fuel to do better, you know, to, to change, to heal. 
um, not repeat the same patterns that I, I was so programmed to repeat in active addiction. Yeah. So it's, um, I have a little over three years clean and sober and it, thank you. I really, COVID really, um, I did go to eating disorder inpatient treatment in 2019 because the food issue, I forgot to mention this, that first year when there were no substances and I'm still this chaotic, emotional, you know, train wreck, um, it, it played out in food, you know, and it got really, really bad. Um, and so I'm like, you know, if, if I'm going to get better, like I have to deal with everything, I've got to flesh this all out. Mm-hmm. And what I understood about addiction being like a disease of the mind um, and our thinking and recognizing kind of in a little bit, a lot of shame again, that I had to announce to my kids that, all right, this too, I have this, I have to go away again. I'm so sorry. Um, but it's the only way, you know, I had to start caring about me more than what I look like on the outside. And I just had that courage and that pool that, if I'm going to have that internal freedom and joy that I see in others, you know, I have to do the work, no matter how painful it is, no matter what people think of me, I had to stop giving a fuck what anybody thought of me and, and rise above that, um, to have the courage, the fearlessness to, to go after a life that I, I knew was possible. Um, so I have done the work, you know, and I am not perfect in any way, shape or form, but I've taken everything to learn and to grow from and to let this light inside me that was so dimmed down, playing small, afraid, you know, I was gifted a lot of natural talent and talent is nothing without hard work and talent is nothing without a belief in yourself that you have the worth and the value to actually follow through with sharing those gifts to the world. And so more than anything, and you know, COVID really pushed the issue with me. I, that first two months was really hard um, as it was for everybody, but I had that high risk son and he moved home from college and I was the only one with the flexibility to provide a safe space until the world caught up. So the other kids lived with their dad for those two and a half months. And all of a sudden I'm alone with my oldest kid who was doing online college So I had a lot of alone time for the first time in a really, you know, ever, ever, and had those, the fear and anxiety of all this unknown again. And um, I kind of had another come to Jesus moment when I was 60 days in and, um, or it was about 49 days in, actually, I looked it up, where it was like that old need to, to numb out was really strong. Like I, I had a hard time getting out of bed loss of purpose, all of it. And I thought, you know, I was like, God, I thought I dealt, dealt with this. And I remember staring in the mirror and trying to lock eyes with my soul and just, you know, where are you? I need to find more courage because that pool, that fantasy around alcohol and pills, like it was so strong. And it's like, I locked eyes with my soul and I found courage there. And I, you know, thought, all right, I'm going to ramp it up, dig even deeper. And and that's where I went into therapy over Zoom with my therapist. Um, I'm like, there's still, there's something in here. And we really tackled like core beliefs around fear of men that I thought was over, but really wasn't. And um, 
through, through this work, I started pulling in using other modalities. I started meditation. I started um, stream of consciousness journaling. I just realized that if there's stuff in me that needs to come out, like the only way is to just flush it out, like drinking all this water after you work out, it flushes, <laughs> flushes it out of the system. Right. So I, I poured into it and I really, part of this for me is having a higher power. And I feel like there was a mm-hmm. moment again, where I leveled up again in the game of life. And he, he, it was this spiritual awakening that happened in June of 2020, where I feel like who I really am and how I appear to people was revealed to me in the third person. And it was a strange, I was watching a video and there was this shift where I was watching this woman talking to someone and it was me (laughs) and it's hard to define, but, um, I, I just thought I was watching someone else and I started laughing at the jokes she was telling. And I realized, you know, this light was pouring in in this video and she was this vibrant human being. And, and that fundamental core ache that I'd had, that I was a bad person, that I was a fraud, that this talent that I had was going to be wasted, that, you know, just those things that couldn't be, it's like God flipped a switch. Oh, I get it. But I get here, it. Mm-hmm. Look at how you are in the world and that need to be seen that achieving, like I'll try harder to that earning approval from others, that need that was still there. It just disintegrated. And I realized people will see that they will love me. I'm a beautiful, likable, funny, quirky, sensitive human, but there's so much there. Like I don't have to earn the way to friendships. I don't have to worry about keeping score to make sure people, you know, like me. And that that's where like the switch flipped that opened up everything that's happened since, you know, I, I realized like, I don't have to care about what anybody thinks anymore because I love, I love me, you know, and that was like the pinnacle moment of my entire life of hating myself and not feeling good enough and not having worth not finding value. And that switch was flipped. And that's what I've been building on ever since. And ever since that moment, you know, I started really, really pouring into, I learned that that stream of consciousness journaling, um, there was an artist called Jody King that, that did a little free workshop about, you know, what it's like to paint over those words. And I started painting over and that it's a safe space to, you know, your kids can't read your journaling if there's paint covered it. And it's also this therapeutic way to, to get all the verbal out and then to shift right into painting. And um, I ended up doing more and more detailed things and you can wow. see the words kind of peeking through. So it's a way to preserve whatever darkness that I had put out on paper. It's still there. It's part of the beauty that I built on top of it, which is really kind of a metaphor for how I live my life. I'm taking this darkness and pain and trauma that I've been through, and I'm going to use it as fuel to put beauty into the world, to, to emit light from me, to, um, to kind of live this life of incredible freedom and joy that I feel, this buoyancy that, I, that, that keeps this expansion of spirit and soul that's been happening in massive crazy ways, especially in the most recent three months since I went public with this story. Um, Because I realized I, you know, 
we've all got our stories, but if I can stand up and inspire someone that there is this incredible success, joy, freedom on the other side of it, you know, people need to hear that. I never know if I keep it all inside, I don't know who's going to need to hear it. And that's where I started writing um, and risking. I, I decided to go full-time with my art in September and just my lifelong dream of being a, a full-time painter um, and threw everything into it. And, and these journal paintings, you know, I went bigger on canvas um, and that dam of their creative block that I have no creative blocks anymore now that I've let kind of the universe and love and higher power God flow through me and onto the canvas. And it's my healing and it's my story in words and color and texture and image. And when I started painting that way, people, it's all about connection. Mm-hmm. And I'm a giver and a helper in that connection of this light that comes through in my paintings, this trust that what I'm meant to do is going to come out on canvas, um, that they're meant for people. You know, they started selling and selling and selling and selling. And I started realizing, you know, I can live this dream of a successful business. And I started putting myself out there and doing podcasts. And that led to being on TV on a couple different segments. I was on national TV that released um, a couple weeks ago. You know, I have another interview this Friday. Someone asked me to be part of a co-authored book. I wrote my story. You know, it was that rising to, do I have the courage to just keep taking action every single day? And I do things like I'm not comfortable on camera. I'm not comfortable, but I do it afraid. You know, I have that courage um, and courage and fearlessness. You know, they definitely, um, they're my, that and freedom and joy are kind of my words that I, in action. You know? See, and then I can, that's why I connect with you in so many ways. Like, but mine, I'm on a little bit on the slower side, right? So like my, some of my aha moments didn't come until later, like five years sober, I went into this severe depression, mm-hmm. like literally go to work, maybe make a meeting, come home, go straight to the bedroom, darken it and curl up in a fetal position and not know why. And I'm telling myself like, Hey, Max, you're five years sober. There's nothing. I couldn't figure it out. Right. But like I said, there was things that were coming up that I guess I wasn't dealing with. So I went to my sponsor and asked him, what do I do? And, you know, and good sponsors will go get the book. Yeah. Like in my case, a book. Oh yeah. It says even us alcoholics seek outside help. So right. that was the first time I had to go outside of my program and, and ask for help because yeah. I literally wanted to die every day, you know? And I heard it in a meeting once from a speaker. He said, you know, I had this hole the size of the grand Canyon right through me mm-hmm. and no amount of alcohol, no amount of drugs, mm-hmm. no amount of whatever food, sex, it doesn't matter. It wasn't yeah. doing the job. And until I surrendered and filled it with yeah. the right things and like who, whatever that is for people, whether it's God, the universe, Buddha, right. whatever, you know, then he said, I started to, to become whole again. And that's right. what happened for me, you know, and, and shoot, almost 18 years later, you know, I have a brother who's 37 years clean is going to be wow. 38 years clean this year. That's amazing. Um, but I've also on the other end, I lost a brother to addiction who took his mm-hmm. life five years ago. And, yeah, you know, so um, but like you, I, 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 where I resonate is like, that's where I get my joy. And I know that for both of us, when we're helping people, yeah. that's where we're, we're, we're filling our 
I like to say our fuel tank to keep us clean. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And I have, yeah. <laughs> go ahead. I have had to make this, you know, all of this has been about surrender, you know, surrender to higher power, God, universe, whatever, to stay in the moment. Because if I can stay in this one day at a time and get out of myself and serve others, you know, I am serving others through my gifts. And that is my life's mission. Serve my children, serve the community um, through what I do best and owning that, um, not out of a point of ego, not, I mean, I try and keep my ego way out of it because that's kind of my trigger for any addictive behavior to come back in when I think I can control things, when I think I'm better than. And so, you know, all the tools that are in my toolbox now have been staying involved in recovery, you know, working the 12 steps, prayer, meditation, yes. um, and finding therapy, um, time with friends, time who, with people who value me for me and not waste time. You know, I have really firm boundaries around who I let in my world too, because if I'm misunderstood or judged, I don't have the bandwidth for that anymore because exactly what I'm on this mission to do is to serve others on the, to their highest good, to give people hope. And, um, I'm finding, you know, the things that resonate most with me where the magic is and the energy is, and, you know, it's an incredible thing to receive letters and emails and messages from people that have heard my story now, read the book by the art, they know what it represents. And it's, it's that hero's journey, that, you know, transformation, but it's not about me. It's about, you know, embracing this light and this, this joy and freedom Absolutely. and uh, doing all the work it takes to, to keep me whole um, and to stay humble and surrendered and kind of in the backseat, you know, it's, I, it's let God, like as my sponsors, like God continue to drive your car. Don't kick Absolutely. him out. Let him drive. And see, and like you, I mean, this is why I think we connected because five years ago through tragedy, I was able to write my book and mm -hmm. it wasn't, for me, it was more of a healing process and a way right. to share with the world, you know, and I put the 12 steps into the principles, right? Into a, a way that anybody can understand because like you, I want to help whoever, whether it's addiction, anxiety, depression, PTSD, that you can overcome these challenges you've gone through. Jessica, Absolutely. perfect example. You know, some yeah. of the people I've interviewed before or other examples like have been like where most people would not want to go. Mm -hmm. if you know, and we've been down there, that road. And it was very healing for me to write the book and to get it out because, you know, Actually, but you know, as I grow, because it's, I think I've grown more in the last couple of years than I have this whole time. Yeah. And um, it's because my purpose has become more clear, right? So, like, my purpose is to to coach those who are high achievers, high performers, CEOs, mm -hmm. uh, executives that necessarily don't want to go to treatment, right? Right. Where discretion is key because they've got a lot going on, and to help right. them you know, through their process of getting clean and sober, but still using the 12 principles without yeah. putting them because a lot of people, right. as you know, oh, I like totally understand. and yeah. uh, so that's my mission is to get that going and, and, and 
you know, help people, even if I have to go the back door to help them with the 12 principles. I'm right. Yeah. I, I think whatever works for people, you know, just to Absolutely. know that there's this, this hope on the other side, there's this, you know, freedom on the other side of it, but you got to go through it. And yeah, it's, you said it clearly though. And it's a part of a network group that I, I belong to the biggest saying, one of the biggest sayings they ha- say is do the work. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's for your business, whether it's for your personal life, you have to do the work. And it's funny, I did this challenge I was telling you about, right, which is a mental mm-hmm. toughness challenge, which now has changed me dramatically mm-hmm. in my mindset, right? So now I'm uncomfortable when things are comfortable, right? That's exactly <laughs> that's I don't want to stay comfortable because I'm not growing. I'm absolutely there with you. And so I try to do something uncomfortable nearly every day um Uh push myself because i want the growth you know i want to the more i grow the more it's that ripple effect the the more whole and joyful and i am the more that ripple effect happens you know just even strangers saying being my whole self at a gas station hey (laughs) and it's not fake it's authentic that's the other thing like there are no mistakes in, in, we're not born as mistakes. And I felt like I was a born mistake. Um, but we're given exactly what, what we're meant to have to fulfill Absolutely. our purpose when we're born. And, um, you know, that's what yeah. I want to unlock that for people through art, Absolutely. through writing, through mindset, through all of that. Absolutely. So, and we're on the right track. And like one thing, one of my mentors, I believe it was my sponsor said to me early on when I was, you know, beating myself up after my fourth relapse and, you know, I don't deserve this and blah, blah, blah. He goes, look, God don't make junk. Yeah. We're, we're all God's children. There's no grandchildren. We're all his children and he doesn't make junk. <laughs> so he took, you know, in some yeah. times, no, uh, uh, nice terms, like shut the F up and just do the right. work. Yeah. Right. You know, and, um, you know, it's amazing to connect with people like you, because I know that I'm not alone in this purpose mm-hmm. I have in helping people around the world find their, in my case, their fearless happiness, you know, and, yeah. and um, you know, and I won't stop and I won't quit. And um, right. I've been blessed, you know, that I finally got this podcast going that I can do this now reach a bigger audience. Because as you know, we're perfectionists, like you said, yep, like absolutely. I, I try to edit myself. I try to do this thing perfectly. And one of my mentors for, you know, rest, God rest his soul, just passed recently. One of my favorite people on this earth always taught me to believe, you know, especially yourself. And he always would tell me, Max, look, perfect doesn't mean done. Just get it done, you know? And yeah. I finally took his advice and then I get to have great guests like Jessica yeah you know, who's you. amazing and, and sharing her story. So now we're going to get into a couple of the questions I like to ask my, my guests. So what does fearless look like for you? And how does that show up in your life on a daily basis? Fearless. Um, <clears throat> fearless means to me, you know, I love courage because that recognizes the fear that still exists. I don't know that I'll ever be not afraid. I'm definitely getting more comfortable there's not a lot that scares me anymore. Um, and I think that's why I can show up, but fearless really means action. It means showing up consistently. Um, because it's that 
it's it's core it's essential it's a, it's showing up and showing your face in the world to say i'm ready you know i'm whole i'm ready to find my purpose or give my purpose or anything like that um and that's core foundational for me to do what i'm doing because i'm rising rapidly um visibly in the public with everything that's been happening and you know that old sneaky fear loves to undermine and that imposter syndrome the whispers like yes you're a fraud. They're going to find out. You don't know what you're doing. You can't paint. Like those are just accidents, happy accidents, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is an artist like that brain loves to say, you know, you've done all the best work you'll ever do. Never again. Right. But, um, that fearless, I have to be fearless if I'm going to grow and stay committed to recovery, um, living a clean and sober life, you know, cause if I go back, like the whole ship goes down and um, I don't, I don't want to lose that. Absolutely. I had a conversation with my mentor and one of my best friends finally got to meet him this year in person after knowing him for 10 years, but we had this talk about fearless, you know, and he's like, will we ever become fearless? He goes, probably not. He goes, Mm -hmm. but the thing we get to do is we get to face our fears and the ones who come out on top are the ones that go after it anyway. You know, like, Theodore Roosevelt says, you know, the only thing to fear is fear itself, right? right. Like, like you said, it takes courage, you know. Um, I don't like being on camera. Mm-hmm. I don't like speaking, you know, when I would speak at meetings or, you know, speak, become the main speaker. Right. I remember the first time I was scared to death. And it's that imposter syndrome, you know, like, I don't deserve to do this. You know what I did to my family? You know what I did to my friends and blah, blah, blah. And my sponsor would just go, Matt, just go out there yeah. and share from the heart. Yeah. Um, You know, and like you, you know, um, I hope I get to help somebody. And and my goal is to help as many people around the world experience their fearless happiness, whatever that looks like. And um, yeah, so I like to say, am I totally fearless? Absolutely not. I'm one of the biggest fraidy cats sometimes you'll ever meet, but you know what? I'm not going to show up because I'm going to face my fear. It's like some of the books that I read. Cause I read this whole challenge got me to reading into reading again. And I've read more in the last four months than I've ever read in my entire life. Right. So yeah. I read 10 pages of nonfiction, personal development or whatever, you know, something that's going to help me grow as a human being. Right. And um, one of the books I read was David Goggins, right? Can't Hurt Me. And that guy's a little extreme, right? Like he loves <laughs> the struggle. He likes to put himself in that extreme. But I have found that like since doing this challenge and changing my mindset that I'm comfortable in the uncomfortable now right. like I said I want to grow. Right. Because I can't be comfortable and help people grow if I'm telling them, you know, I'm sitting on my couch flicking right. channels you know, you know, sitting in my uh, easy chair, right? Like, no, I try to be that example. Like I, I got up, I worked out at 630 this morning, start my day, you know, I get up, I help make breakfast and do these things that like, normally, I don't want to do, right? You know? Right. Um, and um, so I'm learning to push myself at I just turned 53. On Friday, last Friday, Happy birthday. Thank you. And you know, to me, it's like, I go, what a gift God has given me this life, Mm -hmm. you know, because as you know, that feeling like I'm not even going to make it out of my thirties. If I make it to my thirties, right. For me, you know, and then all this stuff with like genetics, like on my dad's side, my dad died of a massive heart attack at 55, you know, and he was an Mm -hmm. alcoholic. 
<clears throat> I'm not going to make it, but now I'm 53 and I'm in probably better shape than I was at 43. I get to have these great interviews with, you know, like people like Jesse. And um, so now this leads me into the, to the next and final question. Yes. So knowing that I put the why in happiness for my book, Fearless Happiness, what does that mean to you? Like, what does happiness mean to you? Knowing yeah. I put the why in there. I, I have one minute to answer the question before I have to sign off. Um, but I've thought about this and it means happy with a why is the present state. Um, I think happiness is fleeting. Um, like finding, finding joy in anything in that present moment, no matter what I'm feeling, because there's hard times all the time. Um, it just, it's, I like the happy because it, it, it represents to me that one day at a time mindset of staying in the present, because that's really all we have. Um, past is over, future isn't here yet. And, and how do we find, you know, the best part of what we can find in this, in this moment um, to keep sustaining us and, um, you know, staying as whole as we can. I really want to bring my full self to the table and um, joy is, is really my word. Cause that's, that's internal freedom for me, no matter what the emotions are around right. that. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. Before we wrap it up, if you can, and if you can send me your links, I would be loving sure. in our thing, but tell people real quickly how they can reach you. If they, they want to check out your art or get a hold Absolutely. of you, your book, uh, where they can get your book. Yep. Everything is on my website. Um, Jessica Hughes, and Instagram is the main social media that I use. And I'm at Jessica Hughes Fine Art. Um, yeah, that's the handle. I am starting the Creative Genius Zone and Creative Genius Zone on Instagram. And that's really going to be about creative mindset and the things that we need to do to step into, you know, for creativepreneurs, you know, anyone with that creative career, entrepreneurial spirit um, that wants to jumpstart uh, how to step into that zone of genius that they have, you know, that's what that is going to be all about. So that's in development, but, um, I love hearing from people. People can re reach out, direct message me, email me, um, anything. So yeah, thank you so much for, for having me on. It's been great. Thank you for coming on and being a guest. I appreciate you so much, Jess. Awesome. I know you got to go. So, uh, we'll sign off, but again, thank you. Anybody wants to get a hold of Jess, she just told you how I'll try to get the links and put them in when I do the podcast, when I upload the episode, but, um, yeah, she's amazing. Check her out. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you so much. Everybody.